This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. You've heard today we're uh, closing up the Old Testament and uh, we've been looking at uh, God's plan, his upper story to bring a redemption into the earth and to bring Jesus into the earth. So it's exciting that uh, how many have enjoyed uh, the story? and not it been awesome? You have accomplished a lot. Give each other a air high five. We've done it. So now we're, we're moving to the end here and we're going to look at the life of Nehemiah let me uh, remind you that everything that we've read and seen in the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. They're all shadows and types that we can learn. And really, when we look at Nehemiah today, he is a, a shadow and type of Christ. And you can see Jesus in every book of the Old Testament when you really look for that thread. So we know that Israel's been divided uh, they've been scattered. They were disobedient to God. In eight, uh, 586 B.C., their homeland was ravaged by the Babylonians. Solomon's temple was destroyed. The people were taken to a foreign land. But God had a covenant. And we, we heard about that covenant. God had a covenant, and his plan would prevail. His covenant was... Uh, put in place and it would not fail. Now it might take a while for the lower story to get in alignment with the upper story, but this thing would come to pass and his promise that he would bring the children of Israel back home, bring them back to Jerusalem. The temple would be rebuilt and uh, we read where Ezra and uh, really was the one that uh, overseeing the temple and the temple was built but the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins and and the Bible says it was a disgrace uh, to the people of God it was disgraceful that these walls were uh, in rubble and, and torn down so it, it happened just like God had said 70 years 70 years had passed just as he had promised and the Jews started returning to Jerusalem. So we're introduced to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah at this time is living 800 miles away from Jerusalem, a place called Persia, and he's serving the king there as a cupbearer. Now, uh, how many remember every time I, I hear about Nehemiah, I think about the teaching a few years back that Dr. Leon did on Nehemiah. I don't know if you remember, remember that, but him being the servant, he was a cupbearer to the king. He would check everything that the, the king drank to make sure it wouldn't poison. And, but it was also a place of dignity. It was one of the highest places for a servant to be waiting on the king, even in times when he was able to relax. And, um, but, but still, um, he put his own life at risk, really, when he asked for a certain favor from this king. And we find this in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. They said to me, and this is Nehemiah, uh, 
Nehemiah talking about his brother and uh, some came from Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile or back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. We see that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And he was, he was praying. He was in communication with God. He gets this news and it puts him to his knees. Because he was weeping over the people of God. And this disgrace and this, this struggle that they were in. At this time, they'd been trying to build this wall for 40 to 50 years and just would get nowhere. It was just neglected. It was just, uh, just a thing there. This is the way it is. This wall, this wall is in ruins. But he, he prays and he fasts and he hears from God. And he decides to go talk to the king of Persia. And this is why I was saying that it was at risk the king noticed he was sad. And I was reading uh, in the Dake's in the Bible that when you came into the king, before the king, you were on his staff. If you came with sadness, you could die. Because you weren't allowed to be sad around the king. After all, you were in the king's presence. You're supposed to be smiling. I thought it was pretty funny. But anyway... He is sad, and the king says, why are you sad? And he says, he tells them about Jerusalem, my homeland. The wall is in ruins. And he said, I want to take a leave of absence and go and rebuild those walls. And the king, he had great favor. The king said, go and do this. In fact, um, when you re-study it out, this was the stepson of Esther. This was the son of her husband. I think there was some favor there because he had heard about this God. <laughs> Amen? We also know he prayed for four months before talking to the king. Four months of weeping and fasting and praying before he talked to the king. Now sometimes we, we're upset if we have to, it takes two or three days. <laughs> he found favor. And so what I want to look at this morning for a few moments is I called it building the walls of God in our life. Then I thought building an incredible life. And then I got another one. Building our life in alignment with God's upper story produces an extraordinary life. When you get in alignment with him, you have an incredible life. And we can learn from Nehemiah some things that will cause you the walls of your own life in God to be firm and to be strong. So we're going to look at a few things in Nehemiah 4, 6, it says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, 
for the people worked with all their heart. Now that caught me there. They worked with all their heart. The Amplified said they were totally into it. I mean, they were all out in this thing, in building this wall. Why were they putting their whole heart into it? I believe because they had a vision that Nehemiah had told them what the Lord had told him. And this vision was clearly given to them. And they could see that relationship with God. See, the, these walls in rumble was more than just a wall. It was about their, their spiritual life, what it represented and so we see here that their whole heart was in it. A clear vision to be fulfilled, you have to put your whole heart in it. So number one point here I want to make is vision. Vision. What is your vision for God's will in your life? What place has the wall crumbled down? Maybe you need some repair or maybe you need to build a wall. The vision of God. What is God speaking? And we have the word of God. You want to know what God's saying? We have it written down. This is his vision. That is supposed to be our life. So you start building your vision according to what he says. Notice the vision came by seeking the Lord through prayer. He was hearing what the Lord had said. The Bible says they were greatly troubled and disgraced by the broken walls and the, burn, uh, the, the gates were burned by fire. Now I got to thinking about what do gates do. Gates cause things to enter or to leave. There was 12 gates around Jerusalem. So it was important that these gates be strong also. So the walls and the gates being built. You know, I heard it said by uh, a guy that was teaching on leadership. I'm not sure if it was John Maxwell, but he said, few people can articulate why they do what they do. He said, very few people can say. They have no clear vision for why they exist. And, and what I mean by what they do, what they do, I, I'm talking about their purpose, their cause. Um, why they were born. Why do you exist? Why do you get up in the morning? Why does anyone care that you get up out of bed in the morning? And we need to, to think, what is our vision in God? Because we have the greatest vision, the greatest cause, the greatest purpose they exist. The cause of Christ. As Christians, you know, I believe our life and our influence can change a person's eternal destination when we introduce them to Christ. Eternity at stake. I believe that when we lose our life and we lay down our life, we surrender to him, we find life. 
I believe the best life is lived in community with a family of believers called the church that where we have each other's back, somebody's watching your weaknesses from that spot in your wall or that burned out wall (laughs) gate and they're praying for you, encouraging you, speaking the truth to you, praying for you and loving you. What's your vision? Well, I don't have a vision. Well, that's where you're going. You've got to have a vision. And Nehemiah laid this vision out. Thought about, thought about Helen Keller. And I don't know how many remember Helen Keller. I learned about Helen Keller in school. I guess most of us did. You know, she lived in the late 1800s. But here is a person who was born blind and deaf. And she had a great teacher, Ann Sullivan, who worked with her and taught her how to read lips. Now, when you're blind, it's, it's tough to read lips. What did she do? She took her fingers... And she read lips by her fingers on the lips. And she would put her fingers on on the throat. And she learned how to talk. And she became the first blind and deaf person to graduate from college. But she made a statement. She said, there's something worse than being blind. There's something worse. They said, what's worse than being blind? She said, having sight with no vision. It doesn't happen by accident. I remember one time, Ellen and I had a a statement, and it was too long, (laughs) for The vision for our family. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that vision was before us and everything had to line up with that vision. What's your vision? I'd say your walls are in rubble if you don't have a vision. We need to build some walls. Number two, prayer. It says in Nehemiah 4, uh, verse 6, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, Amorites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead, that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed, say prayed, but we prayed to God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Even after you get the vision, your prayer time's not over. This is about relationship with God. This is about walking and living with him. And to bring that vision to pass is going to take some prayer. 
You're going to keep on praying because you need his wisdom. You need his insight. You need his strategy. You need his foresight. You need God to fulfill the vision that he's given you. So we're, we're to be a, a people of prayer. He said, my house should be called a house of prayer. So how's your prayer life going? That keeps your walls. If you got walls up, that keeps them strong. If you need some repair, you need some prayer going on. Number three is be on guard in the same verse there in verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Be on guard. Just because you have a vision from God don't, doesn't mean there's not going to be opposition. The Bible promises there will be opposition. Because there is an enemy in the land. There are people who are singing in Walmart these days. There's opposition. And you've got to be on guard. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be ready. They prayed, and yet they posted a guard. And when I looked up these, these different places, the Amorites and Tobiah and where all these were, you know they completely surrounded Jerusalem? They were completely surrounded by all this noise and chaos and trying to stir up trouble. And later on, they tried to kill them. They did all these things. Have you ever felt like you were surrounded by chaos and, and trouble and noise? You got to keep your focus on the vision. You got to keep your prayer life alive and strong. You got to be on guard for everything that tries to pull you away from fulfilling the vision and God's plan. There was voices, a mockery, ridicule, threats, discouragement, unbelief, doubt. And we know there's, there's spiritual opposition. I tell you the way to hit discouragement is head on. You feel discouragement on you? David said he encouraged himself in the Lord. How you start singing. You start praising. You start speaking the word. I don't feel like it, Pastor. I know. That's the reason you need to do it. Encourage yourself. You know the word of God is alive and powerful and active. And it will cause that discouragement to turn to courage. You won't be discouraged. You'll be couraged. You'll be courageous. In your God, you've got to hit it head on. Do circumstances define us or do the promises of God? Second Peter 3, verse 17, I'm warning you ahead of time, dear friends, be on guard so that you will not be carried away by the errors of those wicked people and lose your own secure footing. So you can be carried away by all the noise and lose your footing and you wind up tripping up. 
Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. How do you humble yourself? Casting all your cares upon him. I've had people say, you're just in denial. No, I've just cast my cares. Casting your cares upon the Lord. It's being humble. When I'm trying to carry it, I'm not being humble. I'm being proud. Because I'm not trusting the one that can handle it. Because I can't. So we cast the cares. What's the enemy trying to get you to do? To carry the cares. To carry the cares. And then you're getting closer to him and being proud and he's He's the king of pride. And you're moving the wrong direction. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care, all your care, all your care upon him. For he cares for you. Be sober, be uh, vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He can't just devour everyone. (laughs) He's seeking who he can. He can't devour the humble before God. They're casting their cares upon him, trusting him for deliverance, trusting him for freedom. Resist him steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. We're all going through the same thing. (laughs) Well, there's super spiritual over here. They don't have to resist the devil. Yes, they do. Last time I checked, we were all humans. We all go through the same thing. How do we respond? How do we react? Be on guard. Number four, pull out your sword. It's not just enough to be on guard. Be armed. Pull out the sword. Matthew 4.10, meanwhile the people in Judah uh, said, the strength of the labors is giving out and there is so much rubble We cannot rebuild this wall. See, they're listening to their circumstances. They're listening to the noise around them. They're listening to what people are saying, not the vision and the promise of God. Verse 11, also our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put into the work. I mean, fear has paralyzed them. But we're to live by faith. We are not to live in fear of COVID-19. Be wise, but don't live in fear. We're not called to that. We're not to be even afraid of the end times
Somebody told me the other day, will that day have come upon us as a thief? No, not to the believer. It doesn't come as a thief to the believer. We're not to be afraid. Last time I checked, that's a pretty good place where we're all headed. Times of uncertainty, I believe the church can be attractive and can draw the harvest because we're walking by faith. Our kingdom, think about it, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Our kingdom is never in uncertainty. There's no time that God is sitting there and he, he goes, well, I've never, I've never seen that before. Jesus, get over here. I, I, I don't know what we're going to do about this. No, never happened. Never happened. Satan is no match for our God. He never was. He's a created being. They were never equal. They were never close to being equal. God is God. Yeah. Verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over. Say ten times. <laughs> Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Say great and awesome is our God. You won't fear to leave. Just say that a few times. Great and awesome is our God. Hallelujah. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When you're on guard and the enemy comes, pull out your sword and let him have it. Don't hold back. With your sword, it's the word of God. Give him the word. Take authority over him. Well, I want to be nice. Be unnice. Let him have it. Rebuke him, commanding to go in the name of Jesus. Use the name that is above every name. The name by which you've been given authority. And that authority is authority in heaven and earth. That means if you're one of those that's going to the moon or one of the planets, Jesus is Lord there. Take authority. Fight for your families. This takes investment of time and relationships. That's why I, I love our community groups. It's relationships and family and, and strength. And I love it when we all come together. Why? Because you think about this wall. There was, he even gathered families together at, at the openings and places where the enemy could come. 
But see, when maybe you have a weakness or someone in the family that's standing guard there praying for you, they're watching after you. What are they doing? They're speaking the word over your life. They're prophesying what God says about you. That you'll live and not die and declare the glory of the Lord in the land of the living. They're declaring that the enemy is beneath your feet and you're walking in victory because you always triumph in Christ Jesus. That's what they're speaking over you. They're prophesying the vision that God has for your life. That's what family does. We don't judge. We just come alongside and I was going to say hug, but it's tough for a hugger, but give our greetings and love and an elbow. But we're there for you. Amen. And I don't care what, what your age is. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God. If your vision is just to go out to restaurants and just lay on a beach somewhere, you can do that in heaven. There's people going to hell. There's people that need your faith. They need you. I'm not against vacations. I'm just saying, if that's your vision, just to do that, you got the wrong vision. I can imagine somebody coming to Paul and said, Paul, you know what? I think really you've been hitting pretty hard. You just need to take the next few years off. Come on, Paul. You, you, you've paid a, a big price here. You've gone through a lot. You know, I, I caught a little glimpse of your back. I know you've been whipped a few times, brother. I mean, it's not a pretty sight. You just need to get away. I understand there's some of those cruises available. And, and, and why don't you just stay there? We'll pay your way and everything. You know what Paul would do? Get thee behind me, Satan. Because <laughs> he had a mission. A vision. I really am not against vacations. Number five, refuse fear. And we kind of just talked about that, but Nehemiah 4.14, after I looked things over and stood up and said to the nobles, officials, rest people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. God's not given the spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Isaiah 26.3, love this, this scripture. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Just get your mind on the Lord and peace will come. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear uh, has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I can uh, get away and resist fear just when I focus on how much God loves me. Focus on this love. Number six, don't be distracted. And you can read the whole chapter of uh, Nehemiah chapter six. I mean, it's just distraction after distraction. And um, that's where I, I had one of the major dreams uh, and, and how the enemy would tack the, the body of Christ with distraction. In Nehemiah chapter six, verse two, uh, Sambalot Gershom sent me to, uh, this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. 
but they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project, cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. And that, they kept coming back, the same thing, you know, stop, 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 stop doing what you're doing. Stop, and it could be somebody tells you, look, stop believing what you're believing. I hear, stop believing that stuff. That's not true. Whatever it is in your life that's contrary to the word of God, noise around you, you've got to stop the noise. But they're coming and coming. And all this could be such a distraction. But Nehemiah kept on working. He kept on going despite all the noise. Even one time um, he was asked to go to the temple. They're attempting to, to, to kill you. Come down the, into the temple. And it was actually one of the priests. <laughs> it was a friend. It was a priest trying to get him to leave the work. and come. Sometimes your friend... Prophets, you know, prophets came, said the prophets of this rumor and you're going to be making the, and there's rumors about you and all this stuff. Prophets who were non-profit prophets. Anybody ever been around some? Never mind. You can hear from God yourself. You know that? And sometimes... The word that you hear is not the word that God has for you because it came through imperfect vessels that we all are. But this is for somebody here. You've been dwelling on a word that wasn't from God. Okay. Number seven, be a worshiper. Nehemiah 8, 6, as for praise the Lord. The great God and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They gave glory to God. They knew this day was completed in 52 days. What was a 40 to 50 year struggle, they got done in 52 days. By a cupbearer, a man of faith, a man of prayer, we find no uh, miracles that he performed, none of that. He was a servant in a, for another king that God called and gave a vision and the people gathered around. And in verse in Nehemiah 6, 16, and it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around saw these things, they were very disheartened in their own eyes for they perceived that this work was done by our God. <laughs> so in closing the wall around the city what's that represent number one it represents security protection it uh, allowed uh, a military to be formed that could go out and protect so uh, it was for security a wall around a city also represented identity where a culture and, and a people that was that was formed within so it was identity that was formed through that, those walls. Isaiah 60 verse 18 says, you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. 
Are your walls walls of salvation? Are your gates gates of praise? God's people had been in exile. They'd been scattered all over. They had lost their security and their identity. You will never find your ultimate security apart from the living God. You will never find or, or never know who you really are apart from the living God. If you don't know Jesus, you'll never know yourself. Because Jesus is the ultimate wall builder. And he gives us eternal security. And he gives us identity in him. Hallelujah. See, our answer is not in our government, some political party. Our answer is in the Lord who is great and almighty. He's an awesome God. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. If today you've never made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. All you do is from your heart, I'm going to give you some words to repeat, but from your heart, you mean what you're saying, that you're surrendering your life to him. And he will bring you new life. He will come and live inside of you by his spirit. Just say, dear Lord. Let's all say it. Dear Lord, I acknowledge that you're my Lord and my Savior. That you died for me. You took my sins. You took my pain. All my guilt. You did it all for me. I receive you as my redeemer. I receive you as Lord and Savior. I acknowledge you in my life. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to live this life in honor of him who gave it all for me. And let's stand. We're going to worship. And maybe today the Lord has spoke to you and there's some places of repair. You just tell the Lord, I take notice of this. And it's not going to just be something that leaves after I walk out of this place. I'm going to get a fresh vision. Or maybe my prayer life has not been there. Or maybe I've just been off guard. Or I've let fear come in. Or maybe just distracted. Or maybe your worship's gone. Maybe you're not thankful anymore. The Lord is saying repair the walls. Or maybe build the walls of salvation. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.